You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at winsboro.church. On September 11th, 2001, after two planes flew into the World Trade Centers and one hit the Pentagon, the Federal Administration of Aviation closed U.S. airspace. They shut down all flights. They told everybody who was flying into the States to find another place to land, go somewhere else. We're shutting it down. No planes in the air. This became very difficult for all those planes that were en route to the United States because now they have nowhere to go, especially for those coming overseas. And so they had to fly to the very first place that they could land, and that was a small place called Newfoundland. It's up in Canada. So many planes, in fact, full of mostly Americans, were now refugees in, some, in someone else's home. These people were coming back to their home, to their native land. And without any warning, they wound up somewhere else. Many of them at that time, because technology was a little bit behind compared to now, they had no idea what had happened. And so they land the planes in Canada and Newfoundland, and all these mostly Americans were now refugees before they even knew it. Forbes put it this way, on September 11, 2001, 6,595 passengers and crew from 38 flights landed in Gander, Newfoundland, a town with approximately 10,000 people. After going through Canadian customs, the passengers went to makeshift facilities that the town of Gander put together to help the passengers. However, within hours, the first sign arrived of how Canadians would treat the group of primarily American passengers left stranded by the world events. Americans Clark and Roxanne Loper, along with their newly adopted child, wandered through the local Lions Club, which was housing airline passengers. A Gander resident who Roxanne never had met in her life asked if the couple needed a ride to the store. And since their luggage, or since the luggage of her and other passengers remained on the plane, she welcomed the offer. At the store, Canadians asked if they were plain people and offered condolences once confirming the passengers were Americans. Once back at the Lions Club, a stranger asked Roxanne if she wanted to take a shower, even though there appeared to be no showers at the Lions Club. No, you can come to my house and shower, said the woman. Roxanne and Clark were grateful and accepted the offer. When Americans, Lisa Zale and business associate Sarah Wood, needed supplies, they went to Canadian Tire, a chain retail store that sells a variety of goods. When they rolled their their well-packed cart to the front, prepared to pay, the the cashier asked if they were from the planes. When Zale and Wood nodded, the cashier announced that they could just take the items. She told them anything the stranded passengers needed, the store was happy to provide. Other reports of businesses in town also chipped in to help the passengers. Places like KFC and local subways and even pizza shops. All of which sent food to help the stranded passengers. Even local pharmacies supplied medicine to passengers who needed medication. 
since many prescriptions were locked in luggage on the planes. Canadians didn't help only people, though. Local resident Bonnie Harris went into the lower compartments of the planes and began to feed the stranded pets who were in need. She even convinced authorities to place the pets in an empty airport hangar, and she and others in town pitched in to care for the stranded animals. Many people in Gander opened their homes and gave passengers a place to sleep. The president of the local airport authority was surprised when he came home late and he planned on sleeping in the guest room so he wouldn't disturb his wife. He was surprised to find an older woman he did not know already sleeping there. (laughs) The townspeople helped children cope by organizing a large party, complete with games, a cake, and costumed characters. The store manager at the local Canadian Tire located toys at a warehouse and borrowed a fire truck to collect stuffed animals and other items to hand out to displaced children. One couple recalls carrying a child down the street when a Canadian woman ran out and gave her a stroller. The principal opened the local school and stranded passengers were allowed to come and use the computers to contact their loved ones in America and elsewhere. Residents of the town stripped their beds. Residents in town stripped their beds of their sheets and donated them to the local shelter. Denise Grayfelder, who worked at the Rockefeller Foundation, noticed the towels that people donated for passengers. She asked one of the women how everyone was going to reclaim their towels. Once the passengers left, and the woman looked at her as if it was an odd question. It doesn't matter, she said. Grayfelder said that the selflessness of the town people gave her chills. What a great story, right? But it's not just a great story in general. The reason I share that with you this morning is because that is a great, a great example of hospitality. Our series for the next four weeks will be on hospitality. And I've titled this series, Big Tables. The reason being, I was reading an article recently that said, for decades we have been eating at smaller and smaller tables with fewer and fewer kin. It's time to find ways to bring back the big tables. This week, Our our goal this morning will be to define hospitality. Defining hospitality as Christians, as people in the Winsboro Church of Christ and in the Winsboro community, what does it look like to show godly hospitality? To start, I'd like to ask you this one question. What imagery comes to mind when you hear the word hospitality? What image or imagery comes to your mind whenever you hear that word hospitality? If you're like me, maybe it's a lady bringing in a tray full of deviled eggs for a potluck, right? (laughs) To this day, I don't think a deviled egg has ever made it to my plate. usually goes straight to my mouth. Or maybe, like me, in some regards, I think about my grandma. And whenever all the grandkids were staying over, she would get up early on a Saturday morning just to fix us breakfast so that whenever we woke up, the first thing we smelled was that bacon. 
Or maybe you think of the hospitality industry. Some of you probably have experience there. Places like hotels, restaurants, transportation, cruise lines, airliners, you name it. A quick Google search will tell us that hospitality means the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. Friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, and strangers. But what's a biblical definition of hospitality? What is the kind of hospitality that God expects His people to be a part of? I don't normally do this because I'm not a Greek scholar or anything. I don't like getting too deep into the original language because I probably end up saying it wrong. I'll probably say this wrong. But for this setting, I really would like for us to look at the Greek word of hospitality here. And that is philoxenia. Philoxenia. By definition, this means love of the stranger. Love of the stranger. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Terry, I appreciate you reading this morning. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 9. This section of Scripture, I believe, gives us some key qualities of hospitality that make Christian hospitality so much different from the rest of the world. Let's read, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Or philoxenia. I believe this section of Scripture gives us a few key qualities of why Christian hospitality is so different from what the world has to offer. The first one is this. Christian hospitality is about genuine love. Genuine love. I believe this right here, if there ever was, I believe this right here is our secret sauce. This is what makes it so special. Genuine love. This past summer, uh, working with the youth group, we have our Wednesday night class like we always do, and uh, there was a girl who was actually visiting one, one night, and we were talking about some of the qualities we wanted to have as a youth group, and uh, we've been going over what it means to be a tribe, if you will, uh, and with that, I, I kind of pointed out that, hey, we ought to be genuine, we ought to be authentic people. And this one girl, I won't mention any names, God bless her, she said, authentic, doesn't that mean fake? probably ought to apologize for the face that I gave her, uh, but I just had to know what she was thinking. I said, well, what makes you think that? And she said, you know, like authentic Mexican food, that, that means fake, right? <laughs> so we had to explain to her and break the news, like, no, authentic means the real deal. Genuine means the real deal. It's not something you fake. It's not an act that you put on. It's real. 
And the reason this is so crucial that, that we have this authentic, this genuine love is because the people of the world can tell when it's fake. Sure, they may be kind to us and appreciate our, our kind gestures, if you will, but they know. They can tell when we're being genuine and when we're being fake, whether it's the guest, the visitor, or the stranger. They'll know when our love is genuine or not. Let love be genuine. The next quality of Christian hospitality I want us to really stop and recognize is that we are to excel at honor. Excel at honor. Your version may say, outdo one another in showing honor. I love that idea. Because it's not just outdoing one another in the ways that we always do the rest of the time, right? We're not outdoing one another for something of our own. I got to spend this weekend with a group of friends that, dare I say, they're my family. We got to spend time out at Deer Run and we hung out in the woods. We ate plenty of food as we do. And then we did our favorite pastime, and that is we played a lot of board games. Let me tell you, you ever want to see people outdoing each other? Come watch me and my friends play board games. It doesn't matter if it's a game for an eight-year-old or if it's a game like 42. We will argue a point until we win, every time. And it's for nothing. This, it's a board game. But we think it's the most important thing at that time. And just imagine for a second, imagine a bunch of, you know, mid-20-year-old, some of them are parents now, right? It's embarrassing. Just fighting over the silliest little game that, that elementary kids play. But imagine if we as a church had that same kind of passion about showing honor to others. That I want to outdo you in showing honor. I want to go above and beyond what you're doing to show honor to people. That's my goal. I'm so passionate about letting others know that they are the most important thing. Let's stop and think, what is honor for a second? By definition, it means high respect or esteem, right? Some people it's very easy to honor, I'll be honest. Other people, not so much. There's a difference between the honor that the world says to show people and the honor that God calls us to show people. And this is it. As Christians, every person we meet has value. Every person you meet has value. Every human life, we believe, is created in the image of God. That means no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look, smell, or talk like, they are loved by God. And therefore, as Scripture says, we ought to be outdoing one another it's like the back and forth of compliment giving, right? It's like you, I, I respect you so much. You're so awesome. You're such a great person. No, no, you're a great person and here's why. No, no, you're, uh, right? We'd look kind of crazy, but my goodness, wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Where everyone has a seat at the table because everyone has intrinsic value from God the Father himself. 
So, we love and we honor regardless of who they are. So, we as Christians in our, our hospitality for one another, we have genuine love, we outdo one another, we excel at honor. And then this third thing that I want to mention today. For us as Christians to show hospitality, we must seek opportunity. We must seek the opportunity to show hospitality. Whenever I was a kid, I loved playing baseball. It's probably my favorite sport, still is. It's kind of sad that all this is going on. I won't say anything about Gerald's Astros. But when I was a kid, I had a problem with any time the ball was getting close, I would pull my head away and start looking for where it was going to end up later. I pull my head away and I swing, and whenever you pull that head, everything else comes with it, and then you either tip it or miss it completely, right? But I thought to myself, I was like, man, I see that ball. I see it coming. So anytime my dad would come up and say, see the ball to the bat, I'd say, but I am. I'm looking at it. It's there. Little did I know, right before contact, I would pull my head away, and man, I would look like a fool. What does this have to do with hospitality? I believe, as an adult, and hear me on this, as an adult, there may be no greater feeling than to cancel plans. Tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) There may be no greater feeling than whenever I have something lined up and I'm like, ah, do I really want to do this? I really want to go over there. Do I really want them to come to my house? I'm going to have to clean. What in the world? For some reason, this is how it happens. We set a date, maybe a time, and we're getting ready and it's getting close to approaching. And then the slightest change to our schedule Oh, can't make it. Oh, it's no, no problem. No problem. It is okay. I got a show that I'm going to watch. I'm going to sit in my PJs. We'll be all right. We look to show hospitality, but then often we pull away for whatever reason. Sometimes, I'll give you this one, sometimes it's a valid reason. We get close to showing hospitality and, and joining in hospitality with one another and yet we never connect. As Christians, we need to seek opportunity. Keep our eyes open all the time. Because you never know when God's going to call you to use that simple thing of hospitality, setting a big table for others. Keep your eyes open to the opportunities for showing hospitality. Over the course of this series, I really want us to use a definition of hospitality that, that can be really ours, that we, we say it often and we think of it often so that we're reminded as we go into this world and live our life that maybe we'll actually make connection. And the definition of hospitality I want to use is this. When you seek to honor someone with what you have so they experience the love of God. When you seek to honor someone with what you have so they experience the love of God. That, my friends, is what it means to set a big table. That is what it means to open our doors 
to reach out, to welcome in the guest, the visitor, and dare I say stranger, and show them the love of Christ by honoring them and lifting them up above ourselves. I've been reading this book. I actually read it last week. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And in it, the author has a prayer that I've kind of shifted and changed a little bit, but I want to use it for us during this series. As we close today, if you haven't yet, take a moment to answer that question at the end of the sermon notes. The question is, write down one area of your life where you could improve on showing Christian hospitality. Now realize as I stand before you, that's not a question. But (laughs) go ahead and respond to that. Write down one area of your life where you can improve on showing Christian hospitality. And this morning, as, as we're here together as God's people, as we are about to share in big tables, I pray you'll stay and join us with that. If you need help, if you need help being a person that seeks out opportunity to share hospitality, if you struggle to have a genuine love for others, a good place to start would be 1 Corinthians 13. But also, come, ask for help. And if you struggle, like so many of us do, to try to outdo one another in showing honor, that's why we're here, to help you, to guide you. I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't share with you the gospel invitation from Jesus himself to come to him to repent of your sins to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that's why we're here too so this morning after I say this prayer if you need help in any way we would love for you to come forward or go to the back their elders will be there their wives if you need prayers if you need to just talk I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then after that, we're going to sing a song. But if you would, let's stand for the prayer and the song to following. If you're not too sick or anything, go ahead and grab a hand as we pray. Father God, shape us in such a way that we let you use our home, apartment, back porch, front yard, or garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Help us stop being afraid of strangers, even when some strangers are dangerous. Grow us to be more like Christ in practicing hospitality, creating a new culture and a new reputation for what it means to be a Christian in a watching world. Help us to see that there's more to the Christian life than we have realized more to enjoy, more to experience, more to celebrate. And that practicing hospitality is the key to discovering those hidden treasures. Resurrect this practice in the American church and begin with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.